All right. Welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are a partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with one co-host today. Again, Andrew, me, myself, flying solo. My dad is still enjoying wonderful vacation before he is back and working at the university. Um, but still, the show's going to continue to go on. I'm excited today to have with me uh, a guest that a lot of our fans are excited for. He has a hockey podcast as well that we're going to talk about later. Uh, but today we are excited to have with us Brent Walton. So Brent played in the MWJHL for a few years, and after dominating the league, he went on to, uh, to commit and play and study at Western Michigan University and did so from 2002 until 2006, averaging as a point-per-game player during that time. After graduating, he made the immediate jump to the AHL and ECHL for a year before heading overseas. Following that year, Brent traveled and played in Germany from 2007 to 2013 and then transferred to a pro Danish league from 2013 to 2014, where he ended up winning the league championship title. After Denmark, he capped off his pro career, playing for the Cardiff Devils of the EIHL before officially retiring from pro hockey. Like I mentioned, he also has an amazing podcast called Two Ales of Hockey in Hockey Tales. So we're excited to talk about that today as well. So please welcome our guest, Brent Walton. How are you today, my man? I'm good. Nice to meet you, sir. And thanks for reaching out. Yeah, man. I know it's a little different. I know you're used to being the host and leading it all, but uh, I'm excited to have you on today, man. So we're going to start from the beginning. So you played in a league not too familiar. Um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, USHL. We talk about AJHL. These new, like, two, uh, you know, junior two-tier leagues that people are starting to play in. We're starting to see a lot of professionals come from. You certainly tore it up during that time. So what can you talk about your experiences in that league? Uh, so you're talking the Elmira Sugar Kings, I'm assuming, the oh, Midwest yeah. yep. Junior B. So yeah. uh, that's my hometown team. I'm from Elmira, Ontario. Uh, that's where I was. I was born in Georgetown, but we moved to Elmira when I was one. Uh, grew up watching the team. Uh, my favorite players growing up were Elmira Sugar Kings. Uh, that's what I aspired to be. Um, back then, <clears throat> for players in that league to go to, say, the USHL, the Tier 2 Junior A, whatever you want to call it, you would have to get a release from Elmira to go do that. Um, after I left, they changed that rule, um, and I guess they consider it a lower league now, so players could just leave to other leagues, and that has uh, that has kind of um, ruined the scholarships from that league. But uh, when I was there, my team had about nine scholarships in two years, um, so we were a very credible league back then. Um, the best players from our area were in that league at that time. Um, and then I, yeah, I got recruited to Western Michigan out of there. Uh, I did, I was lucky enough to, uh, win the Sutherland cup, um, with my hometown team, which is, uh, it was the, the winners of the three leagues would then play a home and home to determine who would play a best of seven for the Sutherland cup. We beat the Thorold Blackhawks and, uh, Nathan Horton and John Scott to do that, um, so, yeah, no, and I did it with my best friends. Our core were from Elmira. They're the kids I grew up with, winning all Ontario's with, and still my best buddies to this day. Yeah, so um, that's interesting. You said Nathan Horton and John Scott were also on your team during that time? Uh, they were on the other team. We played against them in the finals oh. for the Sutherland Cup. They're on the Thorold Blackhawks. Now, did they allow fighting or anything in that league? Was it like oh yeah, to oh yeah, we'd muck it up. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, line brawls weren't that uncommon back then, actually. And uh, yeah, I think when I was, uh, you know, you want to show the older guys uh, that you're into it. Like I think when I was 16, I had about three or four fights in that league. So yeah, no, you're good, man. You're good. Um, <laughs> So you eventually you commit to Western Michigan University. So kind of a two part question. Um, was there not was there a lot of pressure for you to try and go to the the major juniors to try and get a scholarship for that versus collegiate hockey living in Canada? Um, well, I was drafted to the Brampton Battalion, um, the last overall pick, but it was the eighth round. Uh, it was the first year of the Bantam draft. So. Um, they did have more rounds for my age the next year, but I was the last pick of the draft, that first Bantam draft. And uh, I did go to Brampton and uh, basically um, I went to a summer camp or whatever um, where they see you play for the first time after they drafted you. And then when I got there for main camp, uh, they moved me into billets and the billets told me I'd made the team and I was on the team. And that was the expectation that I had. I had made the team in that summer camp and I was just going there for the experience. I didn't think I was making it. I didn't think 
I was planning on trying to get a scholarship. And then um, at the 48 hour mark, I did have to make that decision. And uh, it was Stan Butler who I've had on my podcast uh, to kind of say thank you to the guy because uh, I told him I was having hesitations and there's so many guys in the hockey world that do it for themselves and to better themselves as coaches. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, he told me, you know what, with the player you are, the size you are, he goes, you know what, you're, you're not, you're going to have to work your way up on this team. You're pretty small at 15, 16 years old. And he's, he said, maybe that would be best for you. And he let me make the decision. He didn't pressure me. And I did end up going back to Elmira and then, uh, had a scholarship halfway through that season. Um, so a year and a half before I went to Western, but it was a big decision as a young kid. It changes your whole path of your life. If, if I'm living in Brampton other than like going to Western Michigan, where I met my wife and now we have kids and stuff. <laughs> so when you're, when you're on the Almara uh, team, you know, is there pressure from coaches or I don't know by this point, if you're dealing with an agent of some sort, but is there pressure of like there is a better way to go in order to become a pro or to become an NHL player? Or is it like now school's being focused more? I'm always curious with this major junior route that people like to go. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't say there was any pressure on my end. My parents always like they hadn't played hockey. Um, they put me in hockey to have fun with my friends. Uh, that's what it always was. It wasn't about pressure. Um, I also you know, I was always the small kid. I was talented, but I was always very, very small. And uh, back in the day, small guys didn't make it. I never even had an agent talk to me until I was leading the nation and scoring at Western Michigan. Um, I had never had one agent asked to even be my agent until I was, yeah, top in the NCAA at scoring. <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, say, you had phenomenal numbers at Western Michigan. What what was the sudden breakthrough? Was it the coach, the system there? You I think don't think it was a sudden breakthrough. And I think that's a big part of, what I enjoy about my podcast is getting kids names out there that are from small town, Ontario. I didn't play in Toronto. I don't want to play in Toronto. I don't want my son to play in Toronto. I want him to go there for turns and kick the shit out of those kids, but right. I, I don't want him to be on a Toronto team. I I'm not from the city. Um, I, I like the kids around here. I like coaching them and I like getting their names out there, but I don't think I was very well known. Um, I mean, when I was playing for the Sure Kings, I broke the scoring record. I still have it, um, 57 goals. So it's not like I wasn't doing well before I went to Western Michigan, but I don't think there were that many people watching that league, I guess. Um, so when I do podcasts, uh, I do mention the kids I see play around here that are players because nobody knows about them except for the people in rural Ontario. Right. So right at the end of your Western Michigan career, you had finished the season and then you signed a pro contract um, with the AHL Syracuse crunch and played a handful of games before that season ended. And I noticed that's a thing now, as we've been uh, interviewing certain guests, I know that in the MWJHL, that league that you had played in the, the physicality was there as more um, tailored to juniors and pro hockey is there still a difficult transition when you were there for four years at college hockey, the full cage to now you're at the top premier league right before the NHL? Oh, it was, uh, it was more than an eye opener. Um, I mean, I was from small town, Ontario. I go to Western Michigan. My three roommates were all from small town, Ontario. <laughs> we all live an hour away from each other. Um, I had never really played with guys from other countries, really. Um, and then you get out of Western Michigan and you're the top dog and things went pretty well for you personally or individually. And then uh, you get to pro and like, I didn't realize, I guess, because everybody always told me I was too small and I wasn't going to make it. I never really believed I would be that close. And then when you get NHL teams talking to you and stuff, I, I was doing so well. I, I didn't realize how dedicated everybody is in professional hockey. Like, Everybody is just shredded. They watch everything they ate. Um, I walk into the locker room my first day in Syracuse and uh, Mike Scroy, our enforcer, and then my line mate on the fourth line was in like Muay Thai shorts, hitting the heavy bag, like spinning elbows, roundhouse kicks. And I'm like, this is my line mate tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so how did that opportunity present itself anyways? Was it an NHL team that reached out to you? You signed a two-way deal or was it Syracuse? Yeah, no, it was uh, basically through my agent. Um, what happened was um, after my junior year, um, when I was right up there for leading scores um, after the regular season, 
Um, I, yeah, my agent told me I wouldn't be going back to school. Um, and then when he, when I just locked in with the agent near the end of that year, um, he told me I'd be signing. Then he called around and not many people had even seen me play because I was at Western Michigan. I wasn't very well known. So he says, well, with the lockout coming, it looks like you're going to have to go back to school. So then I went back and I did well again. And the team was brutal. It sucked. Um, but I did well personally. I scored a lot of goals, but our team sucked, which was very hard on me. Um, but anyways, um, the end of that year, um, my agent told me I'd be signing like the day after it's over. We upset a team. We end up playing another week and Toronto had been interested. And then they signed a different player because we upset a team in the first round of playoffs. They sign Alex Foster. And then the next week they're no longer interested now or whatever. So then what Columbus did, which happened like two weeks after my season, I had sat around uh, with my teammates and our college careers were over and we were having fun. And I didn't know if anything was happening at this point now. So it's two weeks later, I finally get the call. And the deal was if I go to, if I go to Syracuse, Columbus gets first crack at signing me July 1st. If they like me, they wanted to get to see me, watch me play. And then they wanted first crack at signing me July 1st. Well, I got there and uh, they determined I was not in the shape that I needed to be in. And then also in the AHL, you cannot use Bauer sticks unless you're one of the people they say an exemption, one of the top three players in the team, which I was not. So I couldn't use the sticks I brought. Um, I had to use random sticks off the shelf. Um, we only had about four or five righties. So I ended up using a curve that was nothing like I'd ever used before. And I was brutal. I did suck. And uh, then they determined they did not want to sign me. But because I went and did that, they had guaranteed me the one-way AHL deal before I went. So basically, uh, Columbus was stuck with me because nobody else decided to sign me. Toronto said they would to the same AHL deal, which hindsight's whatever. Um, my agent said, let's go with Columbus. And they didn't even want me. <laughs> so. so when you're working with an agent, and this is something my dad would like to ask, when they're, when you're getting offers in, you got it from Columbus, Toronto, and I know eventually Toronto uh, was no longer interested, but does your agent tell you, hey, we're going to sign this deal, like this is a better one, or is he present the deals? Yeah. And which so that that's what's weird to me was I was too young of a kid. Um, I think in hockey, you got to make your own decisions. Agents can tell you what they think you should do, but deep down it's your decision and you got to do what you think is best. I'm pretty sure that when like whether Columbus uh, guarantees me a one-way a deal that they're going to actually give it to me when they don't want me. If Toronto will give me the same thing, why wouldn't I go with a team that like I did lose a bunch of weight that year. I was ready to go. And I sign up to go to a team that doesn't even want me. It makes no sense still. And uh, when he says, let's go do that. And I just say, okay, um, I, I wasn't man enough to make my own decisions, I guess. And I still it confuses me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you hear a lot about players saying, oh, we want to stay here or this, that, and that. But it seems like a lot of the agents have that power. And of course, they're the ones getting the commission off it. They want you to get the best deal possible. But we were always curious about that because, you know, do players even have a well, choice? Really? Is it like, this there's, the yeah, there's so much to it. And it's like, it's almost like when it rains, it pours, you can go with nothing. And then as soon as one team offers you something, then you can shop that around. But it's a very short window because they usually only give you 24 hours to make up your mind. And man, it all happens so fast. But then that, the, the, yeah, this is all just from the start of that my career there. But that summer after my senior year, when I had gone to Syracuse and they had determined that like they would give me the AHL deal, but they didn't want me. Um, I was at my cottage right here down the road in Concord, Ontario. And I did get a call from my agent that the Leafs wanted to meet me. I went down, did all these interviews. I did a fitness test and I was in shape. And they said, if everything went good, they were going to sign me. Um, everything did go good. And then they needed more time. And then the deadline with uh, the Syracuse deal was July 15th. And I remember that because Toronto determined they needed more time to decide and um, I ended up taking the Syracuse deal when uh, Toronto had said they just needed more time and who knows how things go. But it's like when I talk to people on my podcast, it's like you make these decisions and you just got to go with them. And and what happens happens and you do the best you can wherever you play. But you can always second guess what, what you should have done or could have done. But I mean, how the hell of a ride. <laughs> So that next year, then um, you do play full time between the AHL, ECHL. 
Um, when you went down to the ECHL two and you're back and forth, um, this was still during the time where, you know, the ECHL could still be considered the jungle, a lot of fights, a lot of tough stuff happening. Was there an introduction to you? Like when you got down there, like, Oh yeah, this, this league's a little fucking crazy. Uh, the East coast wasn't nearly as tough as the AHL, man. The AHL was an absolute circus. I showed up there. Our team had Brandon Sugden, Mike Scroy. We had, we had Darcy Vero. We like these guys that fought all over the world. Um, and then like Mike Scroy was in like the heavyweight fighting pay-per-view. He was in you at like MMA fights. Like these guys were killers. And like, I was playing fourth line with them and I was out there with those guys and it was, it was crazy. Um, so the East coast, they had a few tough guys. Like, um, uh, there was biz and lane Manson, uh, guys like that. Um, but, uh, pro is a totally different game. The stick positioning, the, the, it was just a lot harder to score. I found and, and create chances. Cause people were just smarter out there. So after this season, then you had taken your services overseas and uh, you go to Germany, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, you're there for a while. So what what led to that decision? Um, so basically, I, f- I found out how much Columbus didn't want me when I lost 25 pounds and showed up in shape. And um, I'm one of their rookies and I wasn't invited to the rookie camp and they invited like free agents that didn't have contracts. And like I had a contract with them and I didn't even get invited to their own rookie camp. So I realized how much they didn't want me. Um, I didn't get to skate with the real players at training camp. They put me with the draft picks and then sent me down exactly at 48 hours. Um, and then Syracuse, I went down there and I, you know, I, I ran a muck in the preseason. I had well over a point a game, but it didn't matter. Um, so I went down to date and we ended up, going to the finals. And um, that's where I learned how to play defense. The coach had there, Derek Clancy, who's now at the Canucks as an assistant GM. He was the best coach I ever had. He was very influential that I could play pro hockey because I had never learned the defensive side of the puck um, in our own zone, how easy it could be um, if you're just taught properly. Um, He was a very good teacher. He changed my whole career. But in that exit meeting with him that year, we had a very open conversation and he was like, what next? What are you going to do? I'm like, well, this contract's over. I'm like, I guess I could do anything. And like the conversation came up about Europe. He's like, man, he's like, it's going to be hard for you to make it now. You know, you're like 23. You've been in the coast. He's like the player you are, the size you are. He's like, why don't you go to Europe and make some money and have some fun? Um, And he's like, I know this player that's gone here and he was making this much. And then it started going in my brain. Um, I end up signing in um, so Columbus or Syracuse and Dayton ended up offering me a two-way deal AHL East Coast the next year. I was kind of sick of that organization the way they had treated me. Um, so I decided to just take an East Coast deal in Pensacola, Florida, and enjoy a season on the beach and play golf and enjoy the coast and the weather. If I'm gonna be in the coast, I may as well not live in Daytona Beach, Ohio. <laughs> I may as well live in the real beaches. So I signed that. I was on my way there. I was going to go to an AHL training camp in Rockford. And I was skating with Western Michigan University on my way there in Kalamazoo. I got a call again. Um, I'd had a call earlier in the summer to go to Germany. I turned it down and then had a few conversations with friends about it. And then they did call me back about two, three weeks later. And they said, like, what are you doing? Like, we want you. You are the player we want. Why did you say no? Here's our offer again. And then I did change my mind and called Lisa, my now wife. And I said, I think I should go to Germany. She's like, well, okay. Like when would we leave? I'm like, well, I would be leaving now (laughs) and you could come in two weeks and meet me over there when I get things set up. And yeah, I literally turned around and went to the Detroit airport and flew out the next day. So as a pro hockey player, let's say, you know, you're talking to a young 25, 26 year old, the North American circuit, isn't working out too well. At least the NHL team that he signed with isn't isn't you know too interested in him. Kind of like your story, and and you kind of want to get out and go have fun and still make money. You know, we talk about all the time. Um, you know, these ECHL guys they got to have jobs during the summer. Um, it's a very tough life to live. It's not all gl- glitz and glamour. Um, would you suggest now to younger players, hey, if the North American thing isn't working out, go overseas, make your money, play. I mean, it's good hockey over there too. It doesn't matter if it's EIHL, Germany, uh, any of the leagues, right? 
there's so many variables to it. Um, there really isn't when you talk around you know, on your podcast and whatever, and with your friends, like there really isn't that many jobs in the world. There really isn't that many professional hockey jobs, like say for a five foot eight scoring right winger, there really isn't that many jobs. If you're fortunate enough to get a contract, that's in a good league with a good team in Europe, you're, you're fortunate. And uh, I mean, I played one year in the coast and I didn't think I'd last long in that league. Um, that season with between Columbus and Syracuse, I played 102 hockey games and um, like the playoffs were a grind. We went to the finals with Dayton and um, like I was ruined at the end of that season. And it was, geez, it was the end of June. I remember watching a Stanley cup final game and they're like, these are the only six teams still left in pro hockey. And it was the Daytona beach bombers in the coast. Um, and I was so ruined. And then, Teams are like, well, we want you to put on 10 pounds of muscle and we want you to do this and we want you to do that. I'm like, I got two months until training camp. What do you want me to do? And I'm ruined. I'm like, I'm not going to be healthy for a month here. <laughs> um, so I, it's like you go over there, it's 48 games. Um, I, and when I went over there, I wanted to make a career in Europe. Like there, there is money over there that like hockey is a career. And my whole goal in life was to make hockey a career. And uh, I... I could tell I wasn't going to make the NHL after that one year and I, I wanted to go do it. And yeah, it was a blast. Yeah. So what led to you staying for so long? I think it was six years, three different teams. One of the teams you were there for four, four seasons. Yeah. Like it can spark and I miss Deutsch, right? Like I was there for six years at Germany and like I was fluent in German by the end. And it was weird. Cause oh, it wow. like, it, it did feel like home, right? Like, it felt like that was normal life for us is that we'd go over there and spend the winters and then come home for the summers. And it's pretty fun. And um, it was, I went over there with the aspirations of getting to those top leagues where there is like, there's real money over there in some of those leagues. Um, I guess I lost track when I was having so much fun and beating Heim and we were, I had a great centerman, Justin Kelly. We were dominant we won the second league. Um, I was second league in scoring, did very well. And I had offers in the first league and other places and Switzerland and whatnot. And I decided to stay because I knew I'd play with that centerman again the next year. Um, and then I blew out my knee four games in or right at the start of the year, missed a whole year. And then by the time I got healthy for the next season, that centerman was gone. And then I couldn't really go anywhere else after missing an entire season. So I ended up staying on a team that's budget was way down and we ended up losing for a couple of years. And I never did make it to those leagues that, I mean, like I could have gone and you know, it is what it is. Was there an adjustment period at all, as far as that European ice layout? I would say there was a huge adjustment for life, for the hockey culture. Uh, My very first game in like, so I played, in Lansu, Germany for the Cannibals. And we played, I think it was Bremerhaven, um, which is another team in, or was in that league. And, um, you know, like the way I was always brought up is you help teammates and stuff. And I remember like after a whistle, there was a bit of a melee and I like grabbed one of the imports I'd played against in college. And I like wrestled him down, like strangled him from behind. <laughs> like, yeah, it's funny, but the fans loved that, that a little guy would get in there and muck it up. And then I, put up a couple points and the game ends and I'm going off the ice and the whole crowd's chanting my name. I'm like, what? Okay, cool. And yeah. then my line, my line mate was like, um, you got to go back out there. eh?" I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you have to, they're chanting for you to go back out there. I'm like, I can do what? And he goes, I'll come with you. So this is Thomas Dafter. He's like 35 years old at the time. He's one of our older players. We go back out to center ice and did the, the can can and as soon as we come back on the ice they all just go crazy and it was like they accepted me as like like they are happy the team signed me because they bring guys over there man and the fans can let the team know if they don't like you (laughs) they'll whistle and they'll get you fired and that they basically said we accept this signing we like the way you just played hockey um it was a really cool experience for your first game in germany yeah, that's pretty awesome. We hear all the time that the crowds overseas, whether it's Germany, the EIHL league, they're crazy over there. They love their hockey. They're Even crazy both like- ways, man. They can really hate you when your budget goes down and your team sucks. And you're like, well, what do you want me to do? I play it the same. <laughs> right. Still play the same. So eventually after your, your Germany days, man, you, you eventually move on to 
the professional Dan- Danish hockey league for a year. And if I'm not mistaken, um, you won the championship that year as well. So talk to us about that. Um, yeah, that was a weird situation in our lives. Um, I, geez, I thought I was quite good in Germany and, uh, did really well. And then, you know, you play for teams. I went to Hellbron after I left Beatingheim. Beatingheim gets a new coach. Uh, he doesn't want me. He wants to make changes, which is whatever. That's fine. So I go to Hellbron, their biggest rival, and I have another pretty good year, but our team underachieved. We had a good lineup that couldn't put it together. We couldn't figure out how to win games. Finished seventh and got put out first round. So then they end up firing the coach that had brought me in there and liked me and made him the GM to pick the next team. So he wasn't too thrilled that they <laughs> got us him fired as the coach. So he's picking the team for the next coach. And he, he cleaned house with all the imports. We were all asked to kindly leave. So then basically I've left the last two teams in Germany. And then I, I, I got, a, I, I was a free agent and I had never really played anywhere else, but Germany. And uh, I went home and man, it was hard. Not the, not knowing, our son, Colby, uh, had just been born that season before. I mean, I had had a comfortable gig. Um, it was I was stable, and then all of a sudden I had nothing. And I come back to Canada, and I got nothing. And it's the summer. And, man, I was helping people with, like, odd jobs around town. And I was, I was tiling my uncle's bathroom when Denmark called me for the first time. Dan Seaman. Um, and then... Yeah, we had a good call, and I ended up going to play for him, who's a beauty. Uh, we had a great season, and uh, he put me with Corey Quirk, who was an awesome centerman who I'd played against in Germany, and we ran amok. Uh, we finished, we tied for second in the league in scoring. We won the championship, and uh, then they didn't ask me back. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, it can be a cutthroat game out there. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. So then at this point then you must be kind of feeling maybe a little weird about your career but then i was starting to think am i one of the bad guys like am i not getting asked back because i'm a bad guy in the room and i'm like this is kind (laughs) of like it's when you go in there and you got a little kid and then you just find out you got a bun in the oven and you're like well i just dominated this league and it's like you should be asking to give me a raise but right. they say, we're not going to offer you anything, like not even a pay cut. Like you don't, you're not getting offered a deal. And I just go in there. And then when you look, sit back and you get older and wiser and you see how this team does it, they're allowed, whatever it is, eight imports at that time. They only sign like four to five to start the season to save money and let their young Danish kids play. And then come the deadline, they'll, they'll bolster the, bolster the roster and bring in three other imports to try and win the championship. And then the young Danes don't play as much and you see them do it. And they basically made a decision between me and Patrick Aslan. And I, I found out cause I asked the coach back on my <laughs> podcast. I'm like, what the hell man? <laughs> yeah. But they had to make a decision because they wouldn't let him sign all the imports he wanted because right. yeah. So um, it's tough though. You'd have a great season like that. And then it goes out there on like elite prospects, Brent Walton to unknown. And you're, and like, everybody sees that and they're like, they're just, they're just giving them up. And he like, you look at the stats and you're like, well, something's wrong. Something's wrong with this guy. <laughs> right. All of a sudden you start seeing in the headlines, uh, Brent Walton has attitude problem, locker room toxicness. And it's like, wait, right? what? No, I just didn't but, get off. The <laughs> and it's interesting, but like, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I guess, very humbling. And, uh, but then, it, you know, I guess it's my body type. I don't, I don't look like a hockey player that much, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, you listen to the, uh, the draft analysts. And if you're not six foot, man, they don't think you're going to make it at all. So. Well, and having the six pack and having the abs, like when you're one of the older players on the team to like teach the kids, right? Like it is a thing. And I get that, but like, I'm built like my old man, they say jeans are a thing, you know, I, I, I have the same body type. It was hard for me to stay skinny and I did the best I could. <laughs> right. So, uh, then you get a call from the card of devils. So oh, that that, oh, this is a bizarre one, man. It's strange how it all works out. Right. So, um, I, it was an interesting situation for me because I went over to Germany my big time agent from college basically disagreed with me going to Germany already after one year. He doesn't really work over there. So we basically part ways. I end up with just the guy that kind of brokered the deal through my other buddy on the team. 
which I didn't really dig him. He showed up to games, kind of looked like he, he didn't dress like a pro. Um, so anyways, I, I didn't really want him. So I ended up with a French Canadian agent who was the agent of a couple guys on my team. Um, and beating Heim, he never really had to do anything for me because I just do all the deals with the coach. I just say, you want me back? Same deal. Sure. Carry on. Um, when it came time, he got me that job in Denmark. Uh, I was very thankful for that. And then after that year, when I'd done so well and like, I'm questioning myself and I got kid, a kid and one on the way. And it's like as stressful as life gets because I never even considered I was almost out of hockey with the numbers I was putting up and how I was playing. And uh, geez, it was into July and he literally had nothing for me still like nothing, like hadn't even talked to a team. And I was like, this is crazy. So I'm like, well, I'm a big boy now. I'm not that same kid that took the deal with Syracuse when they didn't want me. I'm like, I'm going to make this happen myself. And I went to this thing. It was called like sport contract or something. It was this website where players could do it themselves. And I sent out a mass like email on that thing to basically the UK teams that I had heard I would play for that Dan Seaman had, he had told me, he's like, I'd give you a reference for, and this was another reason that got me off my butt was my coach from Denmark that I really did like. And he told me when he didn't give me that contract, he said, I will give you a reference wherever you want to go. I think you're a great player, a great teammate, blah, blah, blah. And I was so pissed off. They didn't want me back. I never did ask him for any favors because I'd rather cry chop him in the throat or something. But anyways, he calls me that summer. He goes, man, I told you I'd be a reference. He's like, I haven't had one team call me about you. Not one. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm like, serious? So anyways, I did it myself and then I had responses from, geez, I had, I had probably five to six offers in 24 hours when I did it myself. And I was like, huh, so what is that guy doing out there? Right. And so I I make all these deals myself. These teams are writing saying we could do this or we could do that. And it basically came down to Sheffield and Cardiff, both offering the NBA package. Cardiff's was one year. Sheffield's was two. Um, Cardiff's uh, coach I had played against in Germany, Andrew Lord. He was going to be a player coach. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So talking to him um, and playing against him. And then, um, yeah, I just made the decision more based off the one year MBA. Um, and um, that's how kind of it went was me doing it myself. And then that was kind of the day where I realized like, it's time to start planning for the next stage of life. Because if you're leading the second league and or the Danish league in scoring almost, and you're winning championships and teams still aren't even calling you and offering you anything. It's like, this is coming to an end, obviously. And then I started realizing when you play in Europe and and you do have kids and everything, it does take away a lot of teams that would be interested in you because it's a lot more to bring a family over than a player. Right. Right. And I imagine a lot of those variables come into play when you guys are trying to make that decision, but you're with the Cardiff Devils for two years, right? So did you sign another contract after that initial season? Yeah. So I went there to do the NBA, had a tough start, um, underestimated the league. I thought I was going to be good, really good. And I wasn't, <laughs> and uh, I thought it'd be easy and it was much better league than I thought. And, um, yeah, I figured it out. A lot of it was my knee was not doing well. My brace wasn't good. The team bought me a new brace, but then I ended up seeing this natural path or osteopath. They call it urge. This guy, would crack and snap. And um, he fixed up my knee that like, I didn't even wear a brace then the rest of that year. And um, my whole season turned around and back when they used to put all the stats together from the challenge cup and the league there um, that season, I finished fourth in the league in scoring and I played third line and I played second power play. And I didn't really get much ice time to be honest. Um, And um, I did play really well, but that's how our team was good was that I was totally okay with being on the third line and doing the best I could and not playing that much. And I just, I just wanted to win and have fun when I was near the end. And, uh, and we did, we won the challenge cup and then I did play a lot better the second half. And um, I was, I did have become friends with the GM, like our kids were in stuff together. And I still remember the day we talked about the next season because we set up a play date for our kids at like a jungle gym <laughs> and we're, we're walking around chasing our two-year-olds. And then he's like, so this isn't why I invited you here, but um, <laughs> do you want to talk like about yeah. contracts? 
<laughs> he's like what do you want to come back like how, how what are you gonna do if like because i i was kind of considering like get the mba and be done but it was just too much fun in cardiff and then it was also so busy doing the mba that we decided as a family we wanted to do a year like where we just got to be a hockey player again and like just enjoy being a family and doing that where you're not so busy all day every day right so um what you keep mentioning was nba NBA, what is yeah that? yeah masters of business administration so oh, i got okay. yeah so um in the uk league there, there's teams that will get that'll do that for you and um it's basically a sponsorship with the school that um we got our we got that for free um sure. and then it would we kind of work it around our hockey schedules too so we'd miss a couple practices a week which i was totally okay with <laughs> right yeah i'm sure you're fine with that so we have a lot of fans from the EIHL and, you know, we're, we cover a lot of the Sheffield and we've been starting to cover other teams, but um, I know that Cardiff fans want to hear this. What were some of your favorite things about playing and living in Cardiff? Give some shout out. Oh. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to that. Um, I guess a lot of it is why I have a podcast now is uh, I guess that team, that city, those players, brought back my love of the game it's awesome so let's then talk about your podcast that you've been running now give us the rundown give us the name obviously you talked about the reason why you kind of made it but uh kind of tell the fans that haven't listened to it yet why we should and what it's about well i'm gonna sound like a real wussy here but (laughs) uh yeah i moved back home uh when my knee went there so i go back to cardiff and my knee goes right at the start of the next season it's totaled now so i had pcl reconstruction in germany played then another six years so then it really went on me i was going to pick up my parents at the train station when they'd flown over and my leg locked on the way there, driving standard so it was it was pretty scary and um anyways it was like a pirate leg i couldn't bend it at all so they cleaned that up thought i'd come back and i couldn't so then Long story short, I started doing the pregame speeches for the boys. They got very weird. Uh, but then when you, you move home, um, it's just over. And it's like all those memories, everything you did, um, it was just over. And uh, it was very hard. And uh, you have to figure out how to be like a different person. Um, so anyways, um, 2019, the Cardiff Devils brought me back for a Wally night. Uh, and then I realized how much I missed that guy, you know? So now you guys are doing this all the time, weekly. You guys are uh, so I basically do it every chance I get. Um, when I went back after that, I realized how much I missed that guy, the hockey guy, Wally, uh, not business Brent, that loser. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyways, uh, then I came back and kind of had the love of hockey again, coach of my son's team and i i just missed my friends i missed my buddies from around the world and uh i was listening to spit and chicklets and it was all nhl superstars and it was just about the nhl and you know i don't think there's that much personality in that league i don't think people get to be who they really are um i really enjoy now that i can be myself all the time um so I thought up the idea that I was going to do it. And I went on one with Neil Francis um, from Cardiff. Um, He's always been with the devils. He had me on his podcast and I absolutely loved getting to relive what I had done. I thought it was really cool that someday my kids could listen to it, that my family could listen to it. And then Jeff Lavecchio, my college teammate had me on his, the hockey think tank. Um, Again, loved every second of it, getting to relive being that guy and that when you're done, nobody wants to listen to you. Nobody cares what you did. And when you ever end up telling someone a story, you can just see the way they look at you. They're just like, God, you think you're so sweet. And then you just stop talking about it totally and you just bury it and you just, it's like it never even happened. And then um, when I got on those podcasts, I realized how much I loved it. And then I was like, there's just a moment I thought I'm like, I could do this for all my friends. I'm like, I could do that for all my buddies and I could do it for their families. I could do it for their kids. And uh, when I thought of it, it was like, I was just, my heart was racing. I just, I was 
I couldn't wait. And I uh, took the dog for a walk and I told my neighbor, one of my best buddies. And I said, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I'm like, I don't I need a name or something. He's like, well, what's your plan? And I'm like, well, I want to call my buddies and talk about their careers and how we know each other and reminisce and have a couple pints. And then I, I went home, I got in bed and he texted me two ales and hockey tails with Wally. And I was like, holy shit, that makes sense. <laughs> and I sent it over to a guy, Lee Freeman in Cardiff, Wales, that um, he makes the posters for all the pro. He makes the programs for the Sheffield Steelers, the Cardiff Devils. Um, he's done posters of me before that I'm very thankful for. Um, so I sent it to him and I said, hey, man, could you help me out? I'm thinking of starting a podcast. And this is the name. And I go to sleep and I literally wake up and the logo is waiting for me in my like messages. Um, he had done it that night while I was sleeping. I wake up and the logo you see now on clothes and hats and everywhere was sitting there waiting for me. I was like, holy shit, I'm going to do this. And uh, I had Luke Piggott on, Dr. Luke Piggott, uh, one of my best buddies in the world. Um, he's now in Switzerland. And I didn't know what I was really doing. I was pretty brutal at it. And then I just love it so much. Um, I basically do it every chance I get. Yeah. And so the reception, I'm sure, has blown away your expectations. And you probably didn't think too many people would care to listen and watch. But a lot of people have has yeah. been kind of your reaction was like, whoa, this thing's kind of blown up bigger than I thought it would be. I still think it's crazy. The whole thing's crazy. Uh it's, I really appreciate the support. I think it's really neat that um, I can be myself and people kind of accept it because basically through my whole pro career, and I think there's a lot of hockey players out there that um, they kind of hide who they really are to try and fit in with everybody and be like the robots hockey players have become. And um, I, I like being myself and I've realized that um, I'd rather do that than pretend to be the robots in the world. Um, but like, I just had Josh batch on, who's going to bring me over to Cardiff for his testimonial game. And uh, we just talked about chocolate bars he likes. And then the next night in Cardiff, Wales, they're throwing chocolate bars on the ice for him. Uh, white buenos. Um, so now in, I've been doing it now, I guess about, I don't know, two years, just over two years. And uh, we get Twix thrown on the ice and um, Heron in Denmark for the goalie, Matt Carruth. They threw Twix all over the ice. It happened in Cardiff, Wales last year for him. We had Kit Kat get that in Sheffield, England, where they threw thousands of Kit Kats on the ice for Evan Mosey. Um, we have Buenos for the boys, which was throwing Buenos on the ice for my under 11 concurrent connect team, my coach. Um, the Manchester Storm now <clears throat> have... Uh, every time they win at home, they throw chocolate on the ice because uh, I think it's funny. And I get these guys on and we get chatting and these fans in the UK like that is their NHL. And I think a lot of people in the world totally lose sight that the NHL is not the only league in the world, that it, Stanley Cup is not the only trophy in the world. And like I talked to like my son about it. I'm like, whatever league you're in that year. That is your Stanley Cup. You can't win the Stanley Cup in a different league. You can only win your Stanley Cup. And there are a lot of them out there. And like the fans care about their leagues and their players. And the UK fans are especially passionate about the people. Right. Exactly. And so um, just the last thing then, Brent, before we go into our lightning round questions, other than the podcast, what else is Brent Walton up to nowadays? Is there anything else that the fans should know what you're up to? Um, yeah, well, I'm an uh, engineering supervisor at a global heat treatment company. <laughs> okay. Um, so basically my job's 24 seven. I run a team, um, where we, where we explain how to set up the heat treatment around the world. We got offices in the UK. We got them in California. We're like, we're all over the place. We do work all over the world. And, uh, my team kind of explains how to do it and set it up. And, um, I was very fortunate how everything worked out after hockey. Um, I met the right people. Um, the people that run our company, I like to call them shed guys. Uh, they're like the people I have on my podcast, the people that I met around the world uh, that I really enjoy. Um, and yeah, I got very lucky with that. And then um, I'm coaching my daughter's under nine concurrent Canucks team this year. Um, it's a gals team. And uh, like for my podcast, we 
do a lot of raising money for charities and people. Um, so we just finished a raffle of a couple jerseys um, and half the money is going to my under nine concurrent Canuck gals. And the other half is going to UK prostate cancer research. So the opportunities that have come up from talking to my friends in my shed, uh, it's crazy, really. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So we're going to head into the last part, Brent, because I know I'm taking up a lot of your time today and we appreciate you taking the time to come on. It's all like, good though, man. I really enjoy not having to prepare and just answer the questions. Thanks. You're like, thank God I'm not the ones with the papers this time. I can mm-hmm. just answer questions and tell stories. These questions are going to be like popcorn questions, supposed to be quick and fast. But if you got a story, if you have a single word answer, the, the floor is yours. Who is or was the toughest goalie to score on in your career? The uh, Norm Miracle. Do you have any, or did you have any pregame superstitions or rituals? I put on all the equipment right side first, like skate, glove, that stuff, right? And gotta have a nap, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which arena had the worst ice conditions? Pro. We'll, we'll consider just pro. Daytona Beach, Ohio. <laughs> the Nutter Center. <laughs> yeah. What about the worst locker room? Oh. Very trash locker room story. To be honest, I I never considered a locker room bad. Like in Cardiff Wells, uh, the big blue tent dressing room, you could consider that the worst. I think it's the best. So it's whatever you think of it, <laughs> whatever you make of it. <laughs> Who was the toughest player you played against? And I just mean like not Adam, just- Adam Keefe. And where, what league was he in? AHL? He was playing for the Belfast Giants in okay. the EIHL. And uh, for some reason, my line would always get matched up against his line. And I used to like to reverse hit guys. That guy came to hit me and I tried to reverse hit him once. And oh, my word. Um, but like he 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 competed harder than anybody. It was more about how he competed. And then I'd see him fight the biggest guys out there. And I'm like, holy moly, this guy's an animal. <laughs> yeah. So who was the rowdiest fan base you played for? Hopefully I'm not going to get you in trouble here. The rowdiest. Um, well, it would be. It would be beating Heimer Landsuit, but um, Landsuit, man, that first year when we went to the finals with a team that wasn't supposed to. Oh, and those German arenas, when you play, they call them derby games and you're playing the closest team, um, your biggest rival. Like they actually have like the SWAT police there, the riot police, whatever you want to call them. Like there's flares going off. It's at, there's smoke bombs going. It's absolutely insanity in those arenas. And outside of them, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Um, I know this is kind of a tough one, but uh, most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or warm up? Mm. Uh, Slap shot, slap shot to the end of the dink. Um, At Western Michigan University, right in front of the student section, killing a penalty, went out to the D-man on one knee and took her right off the tip as hard as he could take a slap shot. And, uh, you know, the cup was there, but um, I had to lay on the ice holding it, like, in front of all the students, laying there, rolling around, holding my penis. For how long? 10 minutes, 15? I mean, I wouldn't have gotten up. I don't think I stopped holding it for a day or two. <laughs> it was, thro- it was, it was throbbing. <laughs> so I know that this last question is kind of broad and generic, but what's the first thing that pops up in your mind when I say, what was, what has been the most fond memory of your hockey career? Winning stuff. <laughs> yeah. Always win. What was your favorite? Uh, I mean, you killed it in card of uh, playoff stuff too. I, I don't think you guys won the championship, but what was the hardest playoff run? We'll ask that. Dayton, Ohio, uh, the East Coast. Um, it was, what was it, three or four best of sevens. Um, and then it was after a full season of that shit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we got into the finals against Idaho. Um, and it, they were kind of built like us where they were, they were built defense first, tough, um, not like the high end skill. It was just outwork and out defend. And they were just had more talent and were better and deeper. And uh, it was exhausting. That whole playoff run was, we went in the semifinals against Florida and went to game seven. We had games going like to the fourth overtime or whatever. It was insane. But um, I would say the most fun thing uh, is like, 
I guess you kind of forget about it when like you don't get asked back to a couple teams and you start questioning yourself as a teammate. Um, but I mean, I learned, I won with it everywhere I went. So all of those people can go fly a kite, um, whether I had the body type or not, I think, um, my resume speaks for itself. Uh, my one in junior, uh, Western Michigan, we, we didn't do well, but I did well individually, but then, you know, in the East coast with Dayton, we went to the finals. I don't think anybody anticipated that the next year in Lansuit, we went to the finals and lost in overtime of the final game and nobody thought we'd be there. And then I did win it my next year in Beatingheim. And then, uh, again, one in Denmark and in Cardiff, the challenge cup. So, I mean, I, I, that's what I remember. I remember learning how to win and knowing what it took and doing anything for my teammates to do that. Awesome. Well, Brent, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, we appreciate you coming on the show. I say we, because my dad also does. He's bummed. He couldn't be here today. Um, we'll have to have you on again sometime uh, in the near future. We'll talk some EIHL hockey or something, but, uh, I'll so I, I got a question for you though. How did you guys get into this? Like, did you, are you guys hockey guys or like, did you play? Like, what's the deal? So my dad played, he played high school and stuff and then he played beer league. So I grew up on skates at two. Unfortunately, at two years old, I didn't like it. Didn't want to work hard at all. I was like, this is dumb. Um, but I grew up every Sunday and Wednesday. Sometimes I'd go out to my dad's beer league games and we're Bruins fans from Boston area. Um, so we were always big, big hockey fans. And so long story short, my, uh, uh, I was writing for black and gold uh, hockey productions, which is just like another independent um, company that writes for the Boston Bruins and Providence. And uh, he opened up a podcast network and was like, if anybody's interested in starting a podcast specifically for Bruins. So then I asked dad, like, you know, it'd be kind of cool if we talked Bruins. And then after that, you know, we listened to spit and chicklets and I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool if we could interview some of these guys. I'd love to hear their stories. I didn't play competitive hockey. My father didn't. Why don't we get like a, uh, background of like a fan's view of this. So it's kind of how it all started. It's been over two years now, man. So it's been pretty fun. Isn't it fun? Yeah. yeah. I, I love it as much as the first day I did it. And I've met, I have new friends. I have my hockey family has grown enormously. And uh, yeah, like I know there's a bunch of people out there that like would do a lot for me now. And it's a lot of it was put myself out there. Right. Like, yeah actually having the day where you're like, you know what, I'm going to send this and I don't care what you think of me. Right. Yeah. And it's been crazy because the, the hockey community is so small. We've learned having all these different guests and uh, you know, we also learned too, kind of what you mentioned earlier, you know, of course our goal was spitting chicklets. We wanted NHL players, one of the biggest names, but then we started getting on guys we had never really heard before that I do a lot of research, find them on social media or whatever. And they end, um, they end up having the best stories. And then, they end up becoming our most popular episodes. And we realize, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that need their story told, you know, the hockey careers is not what gets lessons. It's I, I can't, I actually can't believe the numbers that I see. And it's, it's, it's the people you're right. The people that have the weirdest stories and hockey people have weird stories. The people that don't are the people that it actually all worked out for the 1% or the 0.01% that literally go to major junior. They go to the NHL training camp. They make the team, they play world juniors. They do all that cool stuff. It's like, well, the real stories, there's a lot of the rest of us <laughs> and, and it's wild. The journeys you yeah. take and the left turns instead of the right turns and how it affects your whole life. Um, it's like your time of being from Boston is like, I was recruited by Northeastern to be a true freshman. And I went there and I, I realized it wasn't a city boy. And I don't think I fit in Boston. I was like, I don't think I can hang downtown Boston. That's not me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's just very cool because, uh, all, everybody's been so receptive, you know, where this is episode, I think 114. And while not every single one has been a guest, I'd say we've had about 80, you know, and, you know, a handful of former NHL players where they played a game or they played their career there. But uh, everybody's so receptive. Everybody's so nice. Um, they just want to come on and talk hockey with father and son duo, which we enjoy. I enjoy doing it with my father. We, you know, we've gone to games, like I said, his beer league games. And uh, it's just cool. We can still do this, man. I'm I think it's now. I think it's really cool that you do it with your old man. It's like my favorite one was doing it with like the team I was coaching last year. I'd have on a couple of my. 10 year olds I was coaching and 
it's just like talking to the 30 year old professional hockey players. It's all the same. It's all the same game. And um, it's, I don't know, man. I, yeah, I love it. And I, I like the reason why they're all so receptive is because we do like talking about our accomplishments. We just have never got to do it in our lives because when we were hockey players, you don't talk about your individual awards and what you did and how many goals you scored. If you did, I wouldn't want to listen to you. And, um, and then you do that your whole career and it's always about the next contract, the next deal, and it's all stress. And then it comes to an end and literally nobody wants to talk to you about it anymore because the people that haven't lived those crazy lives and lived those interesting tales is like, well, they don't want to hear about how weird and cool your life has been. You know, you don't get to talk about it still. So you've never got to, the only way you can is on platforms like this. And then it's like, if you don't feel like listening, don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we saw the significance, you know, cause we're here in Tulsa, Oklahoma now is where we live and where we work. And so we go to the ECHL Tulsa Oiler games and we're starting to see like the significance and the ECHL and how that plays with local people. But then we, we start to blow up a little bit more in the UK area with the EIHL fans and realize, wow, like, hockey is even bigger over there you know because you go to the games here and you know people have no idea how big it is over there like they talk about oh the english league oh the english league it's like it is their nhl and like it is real hockey and like the fans i it's different right because in germany the fans could love you when you played well they could hate you when you lose Um, and it's literally that simple you win they love you you lose they hate you and then you get to the UK league and like the fans like cared about you as a person and like the way they treated us, I'd get off the game after a Cardiff game. And like, we would just have Zoe and fans would literally be dropping presents to me saying here, this is for Zoe. And it's a homemade Welsh spoon or like it's Colby's birthday, my son's birthday. And they're dropping like toy trucks to me from the stands. And I'm like, well, this is nuts. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing over there. Even in the Germany, you know, we even learned just not in the UK. There's other places where they're they got the soccer crowds. You know, the the, the well, that's what the hockey crowd. is, right? The hockey is like it's the same culture. It is very much the same. Yeah, no, but it's been rewarding, man. So um, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, we've listened to your podcast plenty of times, man. So I was like. Yeah, I got to message Brent eventually. Hopefully, he'll be willing to to be the oh, yeah, man. this time rather than. Well, I, I've heard good things, of you guys. And, uh, that's how this whole thing works, right? Is people helping people? Yep, absolutely. Well, Brent, officially on air, man. I just want to say thank you uh, for your time, man. You have a good one. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. This was great. All right, again, Brent Walton. Super excited to have him on. <clears throat> Two ales and hockey tales. Um, we have a lot of our podcast uh, fans and followers that also listen to Brent's podcast. It's excellent. It's a pretty similar concept. If you kind of like how we do, we have uh, hockey players come on. Doesn't matter where they played, as long as they were pro, they come on, they talk about their stories, um, their journey as well. Um, but his is also really fun because they know Brent. They've got all these even better stories, more of a spit and chiclet style. You get more of a background um of it you know sometimes we focus more on the career aspect getting the fans to learn about these players that's also kind of our goal um with the podcast but brent walton excellent guy very passionate guy too um i know he was choking up on some tears but uh just goes to show how passionate uh these guys are um and it just goes to show that you know as fans um our reception to these guys are very important Um, whether it be we're giving them shit because they're not playing well or our support that we show them, whether it be the team, the specific player. Um, You could hear from right there that he wanted to relive those days. He missed the friends from the area, the fans, the old players, you know, and these guys, um, some of them have tough journeys. I think Brent, you you go to his elite prospects profile, or if you knew of Brent um, back in the day, excellent player, highly touted prospect, was just smaller guy. And we all know the five, eight wingers, it's very tough to, to get them um, all the way up to the NHL. There's only a few Brad Marchands or Patrick Kane's out there, but uh, Brent was an excellent player. Um, but it also gives a highlight too of like, you could be playing really well, be top five scoring in the league or on the team and they don't want you. So um, props to Brent for uh, pushing through his career 
um, wanting to continue to do it as a pro. And he's got this podcast now. And I think that he's able to have um, that outlet, which I, I think is awesome. It's like my father and I, this is our hockey outlet while we uh, watch games together and do things, you know, as we, as I just discussed when um, Brent turned on his host uh, um, cap on and asked us, you know, how we became the podcast. That's, that's essentially what it was. And you guys heard that whole story on our episode 100, uh, 101, where we recapped the 100 episodes. So um, I don't want to take up too much more time talking to you guys. Um, again, Brent Walton, this is going to be uh, a week out. I always like to tell people when we record, this is uh, Friday, January 6th. So um, technically today, um, Chris Lidgman uh, interview will be posted. So make sure to check that out. Now that that will be a week ago now that we're talking. Um, so make sure to check that out. Please check out Two Ales and Hockey Tales. It is awesome. If you like these type of hockey podcasts, hearing stories, getting an inside scoop, maybe getting to their mind of an athlete, that's also a fantastic, fantastic podcast. Um, everybody, you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you again for tuning in. Um, from our fans from all over the world, I, we appreciate you guys again. This is going into uh, a year three um, for the uh father and son hockey podcast and uh we continue to love to do this continue to love to do the content we're hoping to do more youtube videos obviously this is kind of what we do the zoom thing and you know they do it from their homes and stuff so it's not like anything crazy in the backgrounds but uh a lot of people like a visual so there'll be some new things this year but uh for the most part we want to keep it pretty similar to what we've been doing keep interviewing these guys get their um their stories and their careers and everything else so again Thank you, everybody. You guys have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in.